Ruth, chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain, after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young, to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now, listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping, and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. Well, good morning. It's a beautiful morning. Thank you, Steve. We're enjoying the the fall. We're a little past the barley harvest, but um, you can think of that and the barley harvest, and then the wheat harvest, and then the Indian summer. So we've been looking at Ruth, as you remember, and we are coming to chapter two. But before we do that, just a reminder about where we've been. We finished up chapter one, and you could call that act one in this drama being laid out by a a clever author. And we looked at the last part of, of, the, of chapter 1 last time. We saw Naomi and Ruth finally arrive back in Bethlehem, a return for Naomi, a new thing for Ruth. The whole city's excited. They're in an uproar is really what, what's going on with, this, with Naomi's return. And then to the question, is this Naomi? Naomi replies, you, you can see it there, she responds to her town folk, saying, call me Mara, I'm not Naomi anymore, call me bitter, instead of pleasant or lovely, because God has made me bitter. There's four things that we looked at that she blames God with there, and then 
We talked about that being a result of her response to her admittedly difficult circumstances. She was hurt. She became angry. She blamed God. And this is where she ended up. This is her space in life. Well, each of us, similarly, maybe not as hard of things in life or whatever the case is, but we have opportunity for bitterness as well. We can blame God. We can blame the circumstances in our life. We can blame others. We can hang on to anger and hurt. It's like that apple. Remember that? The apple gets bruised. It gets bumped. And then without cutting that out, it infects the whole thing. We need to cut out the bruise in the apple. Cut out the anger. Let go of that. I think we should say something. This is the phrase I used last time. We know that God is good. This should be our response. It might come hard, but we need to push it a little bit. We know that God is good and he cares for us. And we know that God is great and his perspective broader than we can imagine. I'll trust in him. I will choose to trust in him. Well, that was last time. Let's ask God to meet us as we come to the second chapter, the second act of this drama in Ruth. So, Father, thank you that we can be in this special book a unique book in Scripture, a neat story, a fun story, and yet the characters here and and the things we're to see between the lines, if you will, about you, the eternal God, are things we can learn from. I pray that you would teach us this morning. We need your help as we're in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So we do come to this second act now. And as we we saw, they arrived at the beginning of the barley harvest. Now that sets sets the stage for what we are looking at next. And it also gives a ray of hope. You have uh, these two widows, poor, with no way to provide for themselves. And yet it's the beginning of the barley harvest. Perhaps they will find food, right? Well, the author begins this chapter with some objective information. Open your Bible. If you don't already have it open, we're going to work through these verses. We're going to try to pick this story apart. As we do so, we're going to land on a couple of character traits just to give you a heads up that we're going to think about. These two character traits particularly, and those can give us a challenge this morning. But let's let's work through the Scripture. Um, This this factual sentence is what we see first. So the, the narrator, the, the author, steps aside from the storyline and gives us a little bit of information. He's piquing our curiosity to know more about this man named Boaz. Well, in the first bit of information, you see that Naomi has a relative on her husband's side. That is a relative of Elimelech. Maybe it's his cousin, his nephew, or even more likely someone a little farther removed relationally. But to those familiar with the Jewish law and the Jewish custom, that speaks of hope right there. There's maybe something that can happen in this family to help the widows survive. We learn that his name was Boaz at the end of that sentence. And the name doesn't have a real clear meaning. It doesn't truly matter for our purposes, for what we're looking at. And then in the middle there, you see a description of Boaz. There's a word there that could simply be, and and has been in other locations, translated mighty of strength or even war hero. But based upon our context, it also legitimately could be translated 
something like a man of wealth or substance or prominence. And it can have connotations of a man of noble character. So you, depending on your translation, you find something like that or, or all three of those things. And that really matches up with the context of the story that's about to unfold before us. He's a man of wealth, of prominence in Bethlehem, a man of noble character. Okay, so now we leave Boaz for a minute, a minute as we come to the second verse. At this point, by the way, we know more about Boaz than Ruth knows about him, even maybe than Naomi knows about him. And Ruth now steps into the position of primary actor, if you will, as she poses a question to her mother-in-law. And, and the, the author, he just stated some facts about Boaz. He's about to give us a picture about Ruth. He paints Ruth as a woman of action. So first, you see the statement there posed as a question, perhaps. Let me go into the fields and gather grain behind someone with whom I find favor, she says to Naomi. Of course, here she's talking about gleaning behind the reapers in the barley harvest. Um, Ruth wasted no time in wanting to do her part to provide for herself and her mother-in-law. We're reminded right there of Ruth's foreign status. You see that even in the opening words of that verse. And whether or not Ruth knew it, the law of Moses, God's law that Israel was supposed to be living under at this time, God's law made provision for the poor to gather and to glean behind the reaper during the harvest in order for the poor to have food for themselves. For example, it's in several places, but Leviticus 19, it says this, when you reap the harvest of your land, you are not to reap to the very edge of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not strip your vineyard bare or gather its fallen grapes. Leave them for the poor and the resident alien. I am the Lord your God. Now, I don't know if Ruth had been studying the uh, Jewish law, but she fell in line with that as she exemplifies ambition here in her intentions to go and glean. Well, you see Naomi's affirmation of Ruth's desire there at the end of verse 2. She says, um, go ahead, my daughter, and do you see a, maybe a possible tone change with the, the phraseology, my daughter? I don't know, something to think about. And then in verse 3, you see Ruth's second and then third action. So first of all, she spoke. She asked a question. She had an intention. And then, then second, she left in verse 3. And then third, she entered a field. She's making this happen. Now, I think we need to notice that Ruth is ambitious. And she's also courageous. There is a certain amount of risk involved in what she's doing. Do you remember the last words out of the book of Judges? It's right there, a couple chapters in front of you if you need to look at it. But each one during this time period was living according to whatever they felt was right. That's what the scripture says, not according to the law of God, but according to whatever they felt was right for them. That statement is actually made on the heels of a pretty sordid account that you can look at of Israelite men abusing women. 
And that's what's going on here in this culture at this time. And you even remember, and we're going to look at it in a minute, but Boaz's words to the reapers not to touch Ruth. Well, this is all behind what's going on in this, in this context. And perhaps it's why Ruth wanted to find favor with the person that she was going to glean behind. This is not a, not a, finding favor was not going to be done in every field. She didn't know where the favor was, though, did she? And that's where the courage comes in. She goes out at a risk. Well, at the end of verse 3, we find where she ended up. She ended up in a field or at least a portion of this particular field that belonged to Boaz. Remember that guy introduced earlier, the one uh, from Elimelech's family? Oh yeah, him. And then this can literally be translated, it's probably not in your Bible, but it, it would be, if you looked at the original, it would say something like, by chance or even by sheer luck, she ended up in, guess what? The field belonging to Boaz. Now, that's just a bit of irony from the author's point of view. We see the silent and faithful hand of who? Of God, of Yahweh at work. Well, before we get into that interchange with Boaz there in the next three verses, skip down to verse 7. I want to look at the, the foreman's description as he, as he speaks to Boaz about Ruth. So the foreman relates to Boaz what Ruth has been doing all day in the field. Here again, now you see more action. You see ambition from Ruth's side, I believe. She courageously, to begin with, asked the foreman if she could harvest or if she could glean in this field. Perhaps she's after that assurance. She wants to know if she has favor as she, as she spoke to her mother-in-law. I also think you're seeing some humility. She's not being presumptuous. Rather, she is humbly getting permission to gather and then assuming his positive response, she gets to work. And you see the foreman's report of her. He says she came, she's been on her feet since early morning with only a small break. Now there's some difficulty in translating the, these verses. This is the hardest verse in the whole book to translate, according to my research. But at least we can see again here, I believe, Ruth's ambition. Ruth's ambition. Think about that ambition for just a minute, the character trait in her life. I think we've seen courage attached to that. We've seen action attached to that. Some, some of you are ambitious people. I know that. Some of you maybe not so much. Maybe your ambition is like, like this, the boy whose, whose father was asked if the young man had decided what career he was going to pursue. And, and the father answered, yes, he wants to be a garbage collector. And, and the, the, the person asking, well, that's kind of a strange choice. And the father says, well, it's because he thinks that garbage collectors only work on Tuesdays. <laughs> so, or, or sometimes our, our life's ambition goes about like this. First, to be like dad. And then to be famous. And then to be a millionaire. And then to make enough to pay the bills, and finally to hang on long enough to draw a pension. <laughs> well, ambition can go in several different directions, can't it? We can mean several different things, but 
The sort of ambition that we're seeing here in the life of Ruth is something to take a look at. Skip down to verse 15 just quickly. You see there, verse 15 out of chapter 2, she's, Ruth has finished a meal that Boaz has invited her to. And what did she do? She got up to gather grain. I don't know how it looked exactly, but maybe she was the first one to get up from the meal and get back to work. And then you continue, skip to verse 17, and look what what the summary is there. Ruth gathered grain in the field until evening. She beat out what she had gathered, which equaled somewhere around six gallons, probably a little bit more. And verse 18, she picked up the grain and she went home. She went to town. Here she presented it to her mother-in-law along with the leftovers from the meal that she had earlier, that she had participated earlier in the day in. So she not only gleaned a significant amount of grain, by the way, that involves bending over, picking things up all day long, somewhere in the neighborhood of six gallons, which depending on the the harvest, depending on the, the plant and all that, could be 30 to 50 pounds worth of grain. After she threshed it somewhere, by the way, she took time to do that, and she carried it along with her leftovers after a long hot day back to town in the evening. I think ambition is clearly part of her personality, some, but something that she is. She is ambitious. It's partnered with courage, isn't it? Someone has said, ambition is enthusiasm with a purpose. Ambition is enthusiasm with a purpose. I don't think Ruth just happened to have a lot of energy necessarily, Ambition was not her spiritual gift, but she had a purpose. Think about that for a minute. What was her purpose? In other words, she had motivation for what she did and how she did it. Napoleon Bonaparte has said this, Great ambition is the passion of a great character. Those with it may perform very good or very bad acts. It all depends upon the principles which direct them. It all depends upon the principles which direct them. So then ambition should be properly motivated. Ambition doesn't stand alone. Ambition should be properly motivated. There can be all sorts of reasons for ambition. By the way, a lot of them are selfish. A lot lot of them are just sinful reasons. But this isn't the case with Ruth. I think if you think about it and if you reflect back on some of the things she's already done and you, of course, in our case, look forward on some of the things she will do, she's willing here in this passage to assume the lowest status, do what she can do, get to work, even at a risk for what? For the well-being of her mother-in-law in large part. So I think that Ruth bases her action bases her ambition upon devotion. Remember that devotion in verses 16 and 17 of chapter 1. She made this beautiful statement of, no, I will stay with you, Naomi. I am devoted to you, your people, and your God. Her ambition, her courage is based upon devotion. She is doing, we're seeing it here, all in her power through honorable means to provide food. Remember, Years past, Israel traveled to the promised land when they were freed from Egypt. Moab stood against them as their enemy. But in contrast to, now, to that now, you have a Moabitess woman 
with properly motivated ambition to care for her Jewish mother-in-law. Speaks to something in her heart, doesn't it? Properly motivated ambition. So we should ask ourselves, I think, where do we fall? What happens? What's, what's in our life when it comes to ambition? What is our level of ambition? And by the way, is that ambition properly motivated? I think those two questions are worth our time, our reflection. Probably worth some changes to be made. Well, let's jump back up to where we left off. Look at verse 4. You may not see it too clearly in your English translation, but here in verse 4 is another phrase that's akin to the one in verse 3. Something like, it just so happened that Ruth found herself in the field. Remember that? Of Boaz. And then again in verse 3, and look is the more literal Reading, what do you know? It just so happened that while Ruth was there, Boaz shows up from Bethlehem. Again, the silent direction of God is underneath all of this. And if you were reading this story for the first time, you, you, some anticipation would rise, wouldn't it? What, what does that mean? What is noble Boaz, what does he have to do with Ruth and with this story unfolding? But before that question is answered... I think we see Boaz's character come forth when he says the first words that he speaks in the book. He greets the harvesters. What does he say? The Lord, Yahweh, be with you. Now, it is a greeting, but it's also a blessing. It's a choice that he's made. I think he underscores, he solidifies that character that the author introduced to us in the beginning verse, the character of this man. So we realize, the original reader, they would realize we're dealing with a God-fearing man. That's unusual, probably, right? That's unusual in these times. And then in response, you see it there, perhaps inspired by Boaz, by the way, the response of the reapers, verse 4, may Yahweh bless you. I think regardless of the piousness or the righteousness of those involved, the reapers, Boaz, we have to be seen and re being reminded that God is right there. God is the one who's blessing the land now. Remember, they were in famine. God is providing food again. The harvest is from him. All good things are from him. Well, in any case, perhaps Boaz showed up to the field to check on the harvesters, make sure the job was coming along, see what the yield was looking like, whatever it was, but he also notices a young woman that he's never seen before. So he asks the supervisor, probably someone he has hired there to, to do the reaping, whose young woman is this? Now, as my friend Carl points out to me, J. Vernon McGee, you know, the radio preacher, he believes this is nothing but love at first sight. Now, I don't know what your theology of love at first sight is, but in any case, it may well be that there was some bit of attraction there. That's not unlikely or uncommon to man, is it? But I don't think personally that this is the essence of what he is saying when he asks this question. And we're going to flesh that out a little bit more. But he's basically wondering 
who she is. Who, who does she belong to? Who's her father, perhaps her brothers, her family, her clan? And then, of course, the response from the foreman reveals that she was the foreigner that he had heard about, um, Naomi's daughter-in-law. And immediately, that didn't scare him away, did it? Look at verse 8. Immediately, he strides across the field to speak to her. Now, this is a love story. And yet, I think we, we should be aware. We can read our culture. We can read our experience in our culture back into this story, into this culture in really illegitimate ways. We should maybe ask the question, what is a good love story? I don't think this is an infatuation story. It's not just Boaz living and acting by his emotions and his feelings, and he will prove that. But as Boaz makes his way across the field, across the the straw to speak to to, uh, Ruth, I think keep in our minds today and in, in future weeks as we look at this, let Boaz teach us a little bit about true love. Well, Ruth straightens up as Boaz approaches through the straw in the field. He comes to her and he says, listen, my daughter. Well, before we go any farther, that, that reveals a sensitivity, doesn't it? And a care. It probably also reveals a, a significant age difference. I don't believe this is romance. I don't know about J. Vernon McGee, but personally, this is not a romantic statement, I don't think. But Boaz definitely has made a quick choice. He's revealing his noble character. It's immediate, as it were, his response to who Ruth is in his field. A young, vulnerable woman that he can protect, that he can care for. And that extends to Naomi, by the way. I think he's truly thinking of her as someone who could be his daughter. Well, he goes on in verse 8. He says, don't go anywhere else. Don't gather grain in any other field. Stay close to my female servants, probably those he had presumably hired to help with the harvest. In fact, verse 9 there, see which field they are harvesting and follow them. Follow them from my field to my field to my field. Stick to my fields. I want to help provide for you. I want to help provide for Naomi. And I want to protect you. By the way, you need protection. Then he asks the rhetorical question by way of a statement there in verse 9 as he assumes the place of her protector. But haven't I ordered the young men not to touch you? Again, remember the time and the place. This is all coming down. It's not a morally upright society. But that doesn't deter righteous Boaz. He's not afraid to stand up for morality, even using his position to protect a vulnerable woman. Now, the meaning here, not to touch, is perhaps in light of these new freedoms that Boaz has given Ruth to come alongside of the harvesters. The young reapers were not to push her back to the edge of the field. They were not to treat her roughly in any way. And it could even include the possibility that if any of them had immoral intentions toward Ruth, that would not be tolerated. No abuse would be tolerated. You're seeing some kindness here, aren't we? Coupled with courage. I think Boaz is a man of integrity. Well, Boaz finishes in verse 9 by giving her permission, giving Ruth permission to drink of the water that was drawn for the employees. 
Now, this is generosity here, to be sure. You know, Boaz, he's the boss. He might retreat out of the scorching sun and sit in his air-conditioned truck, but he knows the intensity of working in the summer sun all day long, doesn't he? One needs plenty of water. But interestingly, he also sets a tone for his attitude concerning, concerning Ruth as a foreigner. Check this out. Customarily, foreigners drew water for Israelites. Women drew water for men. Well, the wording that he is using here alerts that he's giving Ruth, a foreign woman, permission to drink the water drawn by men that was meant for the workers, for the employees. Again, there's kindness here. There's integrity here. No bigotry toward this foreigner. Well, Ruth must have felt this generosity as she should have, even to the point of recognizing the righteousness and the integrity of Boaz. She falls on her face, bowing before him as if in worship. Now, I'll be honest, the first thing that I thought about when you, when, when you read that, Ruth's falling on her face, you know all that little grain stubble when you cut the grain off and it's sticking up in the field? I mean, that stuff is prickly, and she falls on her face. Hopefully she was okay, but it didn't stop her, did it? It didn't stop her from prostrating herself before him really in gratitude and in respect. I think maybe she was a little amazed, wondering why she had found favor, even though she was a foreigner. Again, that humility. She was hoping to, expect, or hoping to find favor, but undoubtedly Boaz's favor exceeded her expectations. She says, why have you noticed me? Again, that humility from her perspective. Let's briefly look at why, what the, what the reason is that Boaz is showing her favor. Well, first we've noticed that he is a man of integrity. And that's particularly manifested in courage and kindness. This is driving his life and his decisions. But second, and you see it there in the scripture, verse 11, he tells her that <clears throat> he has heard about her. And particularly, he's heard about her devotion, her decision for devotion. Remember her expression back there somewhere between Moab and Bethlehem on the road towards Naomi? No, I'm going to go with you, Naomi. I'm committed to you. All this has reached the ears of Boaz, and now he's seen, today he saw it in action. Verse 11, everything you've done for your mother-in-law since your husband's death has been fully reported to me, how you left your father and your mother, mother and, your, late, and your, <clears throat> excuse me, your native land, even though Naomi tried to urge her back home three times, and came to a people unknown previously by you. Now, we may not have, even a few weeks ago when we looked at that, we may not have felt the full force of what Ruth did when she made that firm decision to sacrifice, to commit herself, that decision for devotion to Naomi. But Boaz did. He clearly understood what she had done. I think his statement underscores the depth of sacrifice and righteousness in Ruth's 
decision. It wasn't just because she had no better option, remember, or she wanted adventure. She saw the need to devote herself to Naomi and to the one true God. Well, Boaz goes on there in verse 12, and and we're going to come back to these verses and look at them a little bit deeper next week, Lord willing, but just quickly, he issues a blessing on her by his God. May Yahweh reward you for what you've done. In her estimation, that decision she made, the decision she is making, aligns with the will of God, with God's ways. And then, may the Lord reward you, the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. And then, verse 13, you see Ruth's response, and, and, and just briefly, she, she says, I have indeed found favor with you, even as I was hoping, even though I'm less than one of your female servants. You have comforted and encouraged me. So notice this quality in Boaz's life, this quality of integrity. There are other things to notice in his example. We'll probably look at a few of them in the, in the weeks to come, but think about this in particular. By the way, what is integrity? Well, it could be understood as having strong moral principles, moral uprightness, Integrity is a willingness to hold to godly standards. It includes honesty and sincerity. It's uncompromising as it comes to ethics and morality. I think integrity speaks to consistency. Consistency in one's life, in the dark or in the light, whether you're alone or whether you're with others. The qualities of integrity are consistent. This is the sort of thing we're seeing in the character of Boaz. He's an honorable man. He's a noble man. He's a man of integrity. Now, there's a lot we could say about integrity. But as I meditated on Boaz a bit this week, I was struck by the two qualifiers. I've said them already of his integrity. First, Boaz was courageous. As we've noted, he lived in a time... Think about this. Think about what... what, Put yourself in his shoes. He lived in that time and place of twisted morality. It was everywhere all around him, as far as I can tell. And though Yahweh was still the God of Israel, each one lived according to his own code of ethics, whatever he or she thought was right. Of course, this had a terrible effect on society. You can imagine the flavor of society. But from his simple greeting to the harvesters, to his immediate and firm decision on how to treat Ruth and Naomi, Boaz exemplifies courage. He was willing to go against the flow of culture, not just for the sake of going against the flow, but to stand up in God's will and help a foreigner, to stand up for the helpless, to honor God in that way and act according to God's principles. This is courage, courageous integrity, if you will. The second thing I was struck with concerning Boaz's integrity is the kindness that he shows. Now, when you think of integrity, you may not always think of kindness. Even when you think of courage, you may not always think of kindness. But Boaz showed, and by the way, he will continue to, real kindness to Ruth and Naomi. Now, Boaz knew of his relationship with Elimelech and Naomi and the family ties. 
But I don't think he simply acted out of obligation. Well, I, I have to help them because I am their kinsman redeemer. I don't think that was the case. I think he showed extraordinary kindness toward Ruth, treating her better than she had even hoped for, better than she deserved for sure in that culture. And he showed great generosity, even taking risks with her. Of course, this kindness extends to Naomi as well. And by the way, I don't think it was just motivated by Ruth's pretty face or his romantic interest in her. I think Boaz believed God. I think Boaz knew God and he knew what he should do. It didn't make him more wealthy. It didn't make him more prominent. It was not selfishly motivated. It came from his integrity. Kindness was a product of his integrity. Many years ago in China, the emperor made an announcement. He was getting old, but he had no son. He needed to find someone to replace him as emperor of China. He had always loved gardening, so he decided to pass out flower seeds to boys throughout the kingdom. Whichever boy could grow the best plant would win the privilege of becoming the next emperor. Boys flocked to the palace for the seeds. Among the boys was Ping, the best gardener in all the kingdom. He thought surely he could win this contest. He carefully planted the seed. The emperor had given him in a pot with rich soil. He watered and he cared for the seed, but nothing happened. All around him, though, other boys planted seeds that quickly sprouted and grew. They laughed and they taunted the boy with the empty pot. The boy planted his seeds in a different pot with even better soil. He fertilized the soil. Still, nothing grew. Finally, the day came to take the plants to the emperor. The boy was despondent, but he took his empty pot and he walked to the palace. The emperor examined the other boy's strong green plants and with a scowl on his face, he frowned even more deeply when he saw the boy's empty pot. You brought me an empty pot, he exclaimed. Ping hung his head. He said, I'm sorry, emperor. I tried and tried to grow the seed you gave me, but nothing came up. The emperor stroked his chin, and then he smiled. He said to the people, may I introduce to you the new emperor? You see, the seeds were cooked. They were boiled, so they would not grow. I'm not sure how the rest of you grew plants, but they didn't come from my seeds. This boy has acted with integrity. I think that's a challenge for us, a challenge from Boaz's life to know, to do, to speak from integrity. We have opportunities, don't we? We have relationships. Let's act with courage. Let's act with kindness. In the end, integrity based upon God's standards will reap sure rewards. And then also, I'm hopeful that we can be challenged by Ruth's life to be ambitious. Ambitioned based upon what? Devotion to God and to one another. Properly motivated ambition. I think it's part of the reason for this story of Ruth so that we can study these characters and be challenged by their character God has given us that opportunity. So 
Maybe these two things can help us this week and in the weeks to come. I think we will finish it right there and let's just close together with prayer. Dear God, I'm thankful that uh, we have this opportunity to see righteous characters. There's plenty of opportunity, I guess, to see the opposite, to feel the opposite, to do the opposite, to look in the mirror. I often see the opposite. But thank you for these examples that stand out. That even though everything perhaps was against Ruth, acting with courage, with ambition, and even though the culture frowned upon Boaz's decision to trust you and live with integrity, they made those choices and they lived by those choices. And you bless them. I pray that we could do the same. God, there's opportunities all around us. Sometimes it's, it's only with ourselves. No one knows. Sometimes many will find out. Whatever the case is, in the culture we find ourselves in, in relationships, business, interaction of so many different kinds, help us to live with integrity. Help us to live with courage. And put on kindness. And let us be ambitious, ambitious because we're devoted to you. Just pray your blessing on each one here. As we grow, as we seek you and as we grow, we ask it in Jesus' name.